listening to the Bridge Between Podcast, a weekly exploration of how a family history project transformed into a search for understanding, truth, and the points of connection between people. In dialoguing with others, we begin to understand ourselves. My name is Cisco Ramos, and this is The Bridge Between. Have you ever thought about the categories that you put yourself in? What about the categories that others try to place on you? What happens when what you're feeling and the identity that you're trying to claim is not recognized by the outside world? In fancy anthropological terms, we call this an internal negotiation with an external projection. This is something that everyone experiences. To wake up, put on your shoes, walk out the front door, and struggle to maintain some kind of balance between the internal, what's inside you, what I decide to call myself, and the external, and what's outside of me, and what the world tries to call me. I originally started down this line of reflection because I was trying to make sense of why certain historical figures in my family acted the way that they did. For me, it wasn't just a matter of action, something objective that I could point to, such as an event, like walking out on the family, having a kid, crossing a border, and getting some kind of card stamped. No, that just honestly didn't seem very interesting to me, because it didn't capture motivation, intent, emotion, or what they might have been feeling at that moment. And more importantly, it didn't answer why. And without the why, the picture I was painting through research was too clean and too clear. And if I've learned anything, it's that history is messy and research is hard. And trying to come to some semblance of truth meant that I had to swim in shades of gray. For this episode, the historical figure that I focused on is my great-grandfather, Abelino Federico. Abelino was most likely born in 1883, definitely in Chihuahua, Mexico. The first record I have of Abelino is a border crossing card from 1916. Abelino traversed the U.S.-Mexico border many, many times before finally settling down in Los Angeles, California, most likely sometime between 1922 and 1930. According to the 1930 U.S. federal census, Abelino lived in a small house with seven other people, his five children, his wife, and sister-in-law. He had been married for ten years, he labored in the road industry, and the house they lived in was valued by appraisers at ten dollars. As a side note, calling it a house might be generous, but totally in line with what, the labor, with what your average laborer made in those days. The other heads of household who lived on the same block were chauffeurs, painters, musicians, and carpenters. It was definitely a Mexican immigrant community with painters and laborers living in the least expensive homes. The most surprising fact that I learned about Abelino is that he registered for World War I in Blackfoot, Idaho. On the surface, this doesn't seem to make sense. In 1918, how does a day laborer go from El Paso, Texas to Blackfoot, Idaho? It took me two years to answer this riddle because I found his registration card, saw details that were stamped and handwritten on the back. His signature was on the front, but I needed more information to confirm or disconfirm if it was actually him. How and under what circumstances did he get to Blackfoot, Idaho? And here, this is where I turn to a short paragraph from a history book titled Mexican Labor and World War II, Braceros in the Pacific Northwest, 1942-1947, to 1947, 
by Erasmo Gamboa and Kevin Leonard. And they say, the course of Mexican immigration to the Northwest was as much the result of immigration policy as it was an opportunity for employment. Just months after the Immigration Act of 1917 had established a literacy and head tax requirement for Mexican immigrants, the Secretary of Labor authorized Western sugar beet enterprises to recruit alien labor without enforcement of the restrictions. This special waiver was prompted by a general wartime labor shortage, stood to benefit Western growers because they were especially hard hit. Farmers took advantage of the open border policy to flood the Southwest with cheap labor, thereby accelerating the flow of Mexican workers into the Northwest. Historian Mario T. Garcia points out that by 1918, hundreds of workers had been recruited from El Paso to Idaho's sugar beet fields. My great-grandfather was a part of this movement of people. The labor in the fields in Idaho, according to the historian Leonard J. Arrington, consisted of Japanese, Mexicans, and Asian Indians. Abelino astounds me on multiple levels. He was a Mexican citizen who registered for World War I in the United States. And let me say that again very, very slowly. My great-grandfather, a working poor Mexican citizen, registered for World War I in the United States. He worked in the beet fields in Idaho in 1918, and once the war was over, he returned to El Paso the following year. On the surface, I don't know what to do with these facts because they give me the feeling that many working class and working poor people had no say, no agency, in terms of the kind of work they had to do to make a living. And the same is definitely true today. People follow jobs. I don't know what the experience was like for him because he died in 1953, 31 years before I came along. What I can imagine now, and with these facts in mind, are much better questions that delve deeper into human experience. How might these circumstances have shaped them? And I think just as important, how do they resonate today? Let me be clear. I don't believe an answer to these questions is the point. And with certain questions, I don't believe there are any answers. We just have the pursuit that is guided by a good question. Good questions demand a sense of clarity and reflection. Good questions push us to think through what we know, to try to arrive at something new. I began this episode thinking about boxes, the internal negotiation with an external projection, how we position ourselves in relation to others, and how others try to position us. I'm returning to this theme because in many ways it reminds me of a simple fact that I keep coming back to, time and time again. The same forces that shaped prior generations are still very much alive and influence me in ways that are difficult to describe in the moment. My great-grandfather moved and eventually settled in a place that he could call home. He found his people. I don't believe Abelino would have ever called himself a hero. Heroes are often thought of as brave individuals who go out into the world and achieve something that is remarkable and memorable. I never liked how heroes are traditionally illustrated. I always thought of heroes as the everyday people who wake up, look at their difficult circumstances, and continue to walk forward. It's the kind of work that's done quietly, in the mundaneness of daily life, as if belief and faith in something better 
are the only means through which action is even possible. To put one foot in front of the other, when everything around you is telling you that betterment is not possible. Those are my heroes. It took Abellino a long time to get there. National immigration and labor policy pushed and pulled him on both sides of the border. It shaped what he could do and where he could work and live. I don't share the same struggles that Abellino had, not even close. When I think we have in common, and to be clear, I'm not even sure that if he were alive, he would agree with what I'm about to say. But what I think we have in common is that there's a very real tension of what we can and cannot control and what we make of those circumstances. Abelino experienced joy and misery, heartache, happiness, and most likely homesickness, probably and most likely all at the same time. His experiences were complicated and his history is in better light, but it's still incomplete. He moved because he had to work. Policy shaped what was possible. His life was more than a set of facts. He was a husband, father, Mexican, immigrant, son, great-grandfather, Chihuahuense, Angelino, and many more. At the end of the day, the most important thing that I learned in working on this episode is that what you call yourself and how you choose to define yourself is critical. It's the internal box, the stuff that's inside you, that far outweighs and is more important than the external. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Bridge Between podcast. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. If you'd like to reach out, you can email me at thebridgebetween at gmail.com. That's thebridgebtwn at gmail.com. Or you can find me on Twitter at thebridgebetween. That's thebridgebtwn. Please reach out because I'd love to hear how the stories I'm sharing relate to your own experiences and identities. Thank you for listening.